Praise the Lord. And I want to talk to you here tonight about uh, God's commitment to the church. You and I are very privileged people to know God, to walk with the Lord, to serve him, and to have this wonderful truth in our hearts and lives that we do have. And uh, I'm going to use an Old Testament scripture here to give you a layout of what we're going to be talking about, how we're going to bring this subject to you here today. So if you'll turn to Exodus in your Bibles, chapter 6 and verse 6 through 8. This is Exodus chapter 6 and verses 6 through 8. And it's a statement that the Lord made to Moses to tell the children of Israel what he was going to do in their lives with them and bringing them out of Egypt and so forth. And uh, I want you to notice here what he says here in the sixth chapter, and I'm going to read the sixth verse to you. I'm going to read it all the way through, and then from time to time we'll be going back to this, this portion of Scripture and referring to it because this is what our outline that we have presented, our lesson that we have presented on your paper, this is where it comes from. Now look at verse 6. Wherefore say unto the children of Israel, this is the Lord telling Moses to do this. Say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out. Now notice in your lessons here, the very first thing that we're going to be talking about is I will bring you out about deliverance. Then he goes on to say here, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Under the burdens of the Egyptians of the Egyptians, of the Egyptians, and I will rid you of their burdens. And the second part here is I will rid you of their burden. And uh, I'm going to move on a little further here in this seventh verse. And I will take you to me for a people. This is the, uh, the next one that we've got here. I will take you for a people. Uh, I'm sorry, it's the number three here. I've missed that one. I'm going back to part six here, verse six, I mean. I will rid you out of their, their bondage, and I will redeem you. And that's the third one, I will redeem you. We'll be talking about that. And then I will take you for a people, uh, which is verse seven. I will take you to be for a people. I will be to you a God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, <clears throat> which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And then verse eight he says, and I will, uh, will take you in. I will take you in. That means he will take them into the promised land. And this is what God has promised us. Now, to understand why I'm using an Old Testament scripture here to talk about God's commitment to the church, let me show you a few verses over here in the book of the, in the New Testament for a moment to help us to get a handle on how <clears throat> the word of God is is meant for us to grasp and to understand Old Testament, how it's also a part of the new and the new is also part of the old. So if you'll look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11, 10 and 11 here. Now all these things happened unto them, speaking of Israel in the wilderness and in, in their past life. Now all these things happened unto them for ensamples or examples as we say today they are happened unto them for ensamples and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come so they are written there for us to take note and to learn how god will do things and how he works and how god responds in those kind of ways now another verse of scripture that i also have there is romans this is just, and there's other scriptures, and I'm just using a couple of them here. If you look in Romans 15, 4, Romans 15, 4, these are verses telling us here that, uh, that these Old Testament scriptures are given to us for admonitions. They are a type and a shadow of the New Testament that was to come. So Romans 15, 4 says, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, our learning. And so I'm just pointing out to you here that, and there's other scriptures as well, uh, Colossians 2.17 is another verse of scripture. I know that's not in your notes, but Colossians 1, I'll just refer to it. Colossians 2.17, uh, 
uh, we can have that one on the screen. Colossians 2.17, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Speaking of the things of the Old Testament, they are a shadow of things to come. So what I'm trying to point out to you here is that in the Old Testament, sometimes we refer to scriptures, and I'm going to start off and give you that layout here tonight. We refer to scriptures, and they are natural in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, they are spiritual. And from those natural things that happened to Israel, we can learn from that what is our spiritual position, our spiritual place, and the spiritual things that we need to be very concerned about even in our walk with God in our time and day in which we're living. Praise God. So the Bible tells us <clears throat> that these things are all laid out in the Word of God. And it's laid out to give us that example. Uh, I'll get to it a little bit further on here, but let me just give you an example. Uh, the children of Israel coming out of Egypt was a type of you and I being saved and coming out of the world. Uh, the children of Israel being led through the wilderness is a type of you and I in our walk with God on our way to the promised land. Their promised land was a physical land. Our promised land is the heaven that God has promised us. Praise the Lord. And all of the other things in between. So all of these five things that is mentioned here in the uh, book of Deuteronomy here, that we our Exodus rather in chapter 6 that we mentioned to you, all these things are also applicable as spiritual things in our lives. And so I'm going to talk to you about them and show you some scriptures here concerning them. So let's go to number one here. He said, I will bring you out. In other words, this is deliverance. And if you would, go to Exodus chapter 3, verse 13. This is, I'll bring you out part. This is the very first part of that series of verses that we just read to you. <clears throat> so going to, uh, to Exodus chapter 3 and verses uh, 13 and 14. I'll read some verses here. Now... Everybody with me. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I came unto the children of Israel, when I come unto the children of Israel, this is Moses now talking to God. And Moses, is, God's appeared to him in the burning bush in the wilderness. He left Egypt, went away out in the, in the wilderness there, and he, is in, he sees God in the burning bush. The Lord appears to him and talks to him. And the Lord tells him, I want you to go back and tell the children of Israel that I'm going to bring them out of Egypt. I'm going to deliver them. Now, here's what he says in verse 13. Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say unto me, What is his name? Everybody take note of this. What is his name? What shall I say unto them? In other words, you're telling me that I'm to tell them and you're going to deliver them. What can I say is your name? Now, verse 14 is what God told Moses. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. I am. Now, uh, the, the phrase I am is a phrase and a name that can mean God is everything. Everything. I am now. I am the past and I am the future. I am here and I am there. I am all might. I'm all presence. I am all things. You name it, God is that. Praise the Lord. He, in other words, he is the head of everything that exists. And he said unto him, tell them that my name is I am. And uh, that is the Hebrew is called the tetragamation. I have a little... Uh, example of that and it's written in Hebrew here that I picked up in Israel when I was over there one time and uh, this is what it looks like this is this is the I am I am name here that God gave him now in the Hebrew you read backwards you go from right to left they think it's very odd that we go from left to right but they're writing and they're reading everything to the right this is J-H-V-H. These are the letters. Those letters are also found in your Bible in the 119th Psalm. And uh, there are 22 Hebrew letters. Uh, 
And in that 119th Psalm in the Bible, I won't get into that tonight, but in that 119th Psalm, there are, in each, each, in each letter of the Hebrews, there is eight verses, eight verses altogether. And so the eight verses, you go through the 22 times eight, and you've got how many verses in Psalms 119. And so, and then the head of each one of these groups of eight verses gives the letter here, whatever it is. And uh, this was the least of the letter. This was called a jot, and uh, this is a, a, a jod, and it's referred to as the very least, one of the least letters in the entire alphabet, probably the least. It is the least letter, which is the J, the J-H-V-H. The most powerful letter in the Hebrew alphabet is the H, and it's, it's twice here because it means breath, it means life. Uh, you and I, when we use the word H, we go, <sighs> did you hear that? Did you hear me say that? <sighs> okay. You know how the Hebrews say it? <sighs> when, they, when they use a word and they use the H sound, they go, <sighs> I mean, you hear it when they do it. If you're not, if you're not careful, you, you, know, you, you have to wipe your eye. I'm just kidding. But I'm just saying here, they are very emphatic about it. So it's a very powerful letter here, and it means life, it means breath. Now, this is called the tetragamation. It simply means four letters, tetragamation, four letters. Now, when God gave that to Moses, when Moses went to the children of Israel, and they said, what's his name? Moses could not say, I am, because he's not God. He would not even use it that way. So when he went to say he is, he is is not the same as I am. So Moses couldn't say it, so Moses had to write it down. He had to write down I am. And then the Jewish people understood from that that God's name was so sacred that it was not supposed to be just easily and recklessly pronounced and thrown around. So they've had a high regard for the name of God and to the point that many places in your Bible where the word Lord, L-O-R-D, all capital letters are written in your Bible, that is in reference to God's name. It's where God's name is supposed to be there, but they don't want to use the name, but they use the word Lord, L-O-R-D, all capital letters, implying this is God's name. Okay, And God's name was given unto him, and, and of course he said, I am. And of course, this is the word in, in the Hebrew, where it's J-H-V-H, they, I think it's the 13th century, I don't remember when it was, but the English put vowels in between, J-H-V-H, J-E-H-O-V-A-H, and they made Jehovah. That's where the name Jehovah comes from. Jehovah is not really the name of God. I, I was debating with some Jehovah Witnesses one time, and I had to remind them of that. I said, Jehovah's not really the name of God, you know that, you know that. They had a hard time trying to deal with it. But anyhow, that is the truth. Uh, also, the name of God, this J-H-B-H, in the Hebrew, where the Hebrews have no J letter, theirs is Y. So it's Y-H-V, sometimes V, sometimes W-H, Y-H-V-H, Y. So that's where you get the word Yahweh or Yahweh, Yahweh or Yahweh. You understand what I'm saying? You put vowels in between in between the consonants and you come up with a name that's pronounceable. So that's where they get Yahweh or Yahweh, depending on what nationality you are, or Jehovah, uh, what, you know, the English use the word Jehovah, and uh, so forth. Now, I'm just pointing all that out to you because God gave Moses a name. Now, let me go a little bit further. Let me go to our lesson here. If you look here, he says here in number one, I will bring you out, deliverance. God's name, I am, and I just got through talking about that. And then, of course, it was meant that God was able to deliver them. It was the beginning of miracles. Now, take note of what I'm going to say here. What happened next was a miracle. And no miracle in the Bible had ever been performed before this happened. Before this happened. No miracle. God's name, when he told him, my name is I am, it was followed by a miracle. I have a reason for telling you this. Uh, let me uh, have you go over, if you would, to uh, Exodus chapter 4. Just flip the page. Uh, 
this is what happened. After he gave him that name. Well, let, let me let me go back. I'm sorry. Let me go back to chapter 3 here for a moment. And the Lord told him to go and gather. Let me read verse 16 here to make this clear. Then I'm going to tie it all together here. Verse 16 through 17. I think I have that in your notes right up here. Have I lost anybody yet? You still with me? Okay. 16, 17. He says, go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord your God, your father, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. God is telling Moses to go tell the children of Israel, their leaders, these things. Verse 17. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the afflictions of Egypt into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Fabites and the Jebusites into a land flow with milk and honey. These were the people that possessed what was called uh, the, Canaan, the Canaan land or the promised land. Now, in the fourth chapter, I'm going to 4.1 now. I'm going to 4.1. This is the next verse here. I got 4.2, but I'm going to go with the first verse first. Moses answered and said, but behold, they, these leaders of Israel... They will not believe me nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. He said, What if he says that? Now look at verse 2. And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? And he said, A rod. He had a rod. A rod's a long stick that they carried, but shepherds do down in there. He was shepherding sheep when he met the Lord. Down in there, sort of their side coat, they wrap around. And uh, he said, what's that in your hand? He said, a rod. And the Lord said to him, what's that in the hand? He said, a rod, verse 3. And he said, cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. That's the first miracle you'll find in the Bible. Outside of Isaac being born to parents that were too old to have children, Abraham and Mary and Sarah, outside of that. Outside of that, let me just rephrase that. But as far as just miracles happening, there's none from Genesis for what I think is 2,500 years. There's no miracles. Now, look what it, says, it goes on to say here. And he said to him, cast it on the ground. He cast it on the ground. It became a serpent. Moses fled from before it. And the Lord said unto Moses, put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand and caught it and became a rod in his hand. It went back to the rod. And Moses went, he didn't want to pick up no serpent in there, but God told him to do it. Now, I'm just telling you here that God said, this is my name. What if the people won't listen to me? Now, here's a rod. He turned it to a serpent. Moses had never seen a miracle. Nobody had ever seen a miracle like that. It never, it never happened. Now, look at the next thing that happened. Look at verse 6. And the Lord further said furthermore unto him, put now thine hand into thy bosom. You know, put it in your bosom. And he put his hand into his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, the hand was leprous as snow. It was white as he had leprosy. Oh, my God. I'm doomed. I've got leprosy. All of a sudden, he had leprosy. And then the Lord said to him in verse 7, he said, put thine hand in thy bosom again. He did it. And he put his hand into his bosom again and plucked it out of his bosom, and behold, it was turned again as his other flesh. And he said, oh. <laughs> I'm just guessing that's what he must have said. But I'm showing you here the Lord showed him two miracles that he did. I have a reason for telling you this. Now, verse 8, it shall come to pass if they will not believe thee. He's talking about now the children of Israel will, will not believe him. If they will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. And it will come to pass if they will not believe these two signs, neither or neither hearken unto thy voice, that thou shalt take of thou shalt take of the water of the river and pour it upon dry land, and the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. And what finally did happen was that when he performed those two miracles with the children, they believed him. Because they said, we have never seen, we're never known of a miracle. Now, why am I telling you all of that? Because what God was telling Moses by giving him his name, folks, listen to me carefully. I 
am willing and ready and committed to do anything I have to do to keep my word and to deliver them. If I said I'm going to bring you out, I'm going to bring you out. You can stand there and say it's impossible, but I'm telling you there's nothing impossible because I'll change if I have to. I'll change things to make it possible. And that's exactly what God did. It's what God did. They came to the Red Sea and said, there's no way we can get across. And you better believe it. There's no way you can get across the Red Sea. And he said, stretch forth your rod, Moses. Moses stretched forth his rod. God told him to do that. And the east wind blew all night. East winds, that's how we got our name of our church. That east wind blew all night long. And that sea opened up, praise the Lord. And they walked across on dry ground. It was like desert ground they were walking on. It wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't wet, sandy ground. It was dry. And that's recorded several places throughout the Bible. Now, I'm telling you all that just to tell you that God was committed to do what he said he would do. Now, God's committed to do things for us. He's committed to do things for us. Now, I'm going to go, I want you to go with me to, uh, uh, to Luke. This is B here. This would be here. Look to Luke 4, 18. Luke 4, 18. And we're sort of getting into the New Testament here some. All right. 4, 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is Jesus now when he began his ministry. When he first began his ministry. And he had gone to Nazareth. In the 16th verse, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And he went in there and, and uh, they handed him a book and he stood up. Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives. In other words, Jesus said, I've come to do that. And recovering the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. The Lord said, I have come to do that. Now, Jesus Christ was God manifest in the flesh. And he had come to this earth, praise the Lord, amen, to make things happen. And I'm telling you folks today that God will make things happen in your life to bring you out of the world. And to bring you out of sin. And there's nothing he can't do that he will not do to save you. Praise the Lord. God wants to save man. And if a man or a woman will simply say, God, I want to be saved. I want you to help me out of this mess I'm in. And if you'll call on the name of the Lord, praise the Lord, Jesus will absolutely do a work that's, that you cannot imagine he can do and he will do. There's nothing God can't do. He can break drug addictions. Amen. I've seen it happen. I, we've got people in this church that was on drugs before they came to the Lord. And God delivered them of it. They've never touched it ever, ever, ever again. Laid down, walked away from it. That was it. It's all over with. We've got people in this church that were alcoholics. They were alcoholics at one time. Way back there. And God delivered them of it. I mean, just like that. Because God can do that. Because he's all power. And this is what he said. I will deliver you folks. God is not, you know, like weak that he can deliver. That's why he gave him his name. I am. In other words, I am. And that meant I'll change things if I have to. They got out in the wilderness. Children of Israel got out in the wilderness and there was no water. The Lord changed the water. He made, a, he made water come out of the rock. Moses spiked the rock. What's it, what is that going to do, Lord? Just take your rod and hit the rock. He hit that rock and now it's a gully washer came out of that rock. A gully washer came out of that rock. Praise the Lord. I mean, it wasn't like a little trinkle, 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 trinkle. No, no, it was, it was enough water to feed all those people, all the water, all they And it was all their, any cattle or anything else, sheep that they had might have been with them. They had all the water they needed. And then the Lord said, manna from heaven. They didn't have any food. And he did it for 40 years. Don't you know God's able to do, take care of his own people? Don't you know, folks, that he's able to deliver us? 
my uh, my dad, my mom and dad, uh, they were not saved when I was saved. When I got saved, I went off to Bible school for a year, and during that period of time, my mother prayed for me so much that when I came home from Bible school, and I went to and they were in Miami then, and I went to a Pentecostal church in Miami. She said, "I'm going to go with you," and it wasn't long till she received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But my dad never would go to church. He worked hard all day. He wanted to eat his supper, relax, watch TV, go to bed, get up the next day and go to work again. That was him. And she'd say, come go to work, go go to church with me when she on church nights. This was even after I went back to school and going through school and everything else and going on about with my life. She'd say, uh, why don't you go to church with me? And he said, no, I don't want to go. Finally, one day, now listen to me closely on this. One day she said to him, I'm not going to ask you to go to church with me anymore. But I want you to know that any time I'm dressed up and I'm going out that door to go to church, you're always welcome. And if you will say, wait, I'm going with you, I will wait until you get your clothes on to go to church and we'll go together. But I will not bug you about it anymore. And she didn't. And one day he did that. One day. They were in revival with uh, Sister uh, Willie Johnson. How many of you, any, any older people know, ever heard of Sister Willie Johnson? Okay, I got one. She was a powerful lady evangelist, lady evangelist. My dad did not like women preachers. He didn't like women preachers. I don't know, just him. He did not like women preachers. He didn't know who it was. He just knew there was a revival going on. And uh, he said to my mother, I'm going with you tonight. She said, we're in revival. Okay, that's good. I'm going to go. He went to church, sat down in the back, and lo and behold, the woman preacher. You know, got white, little cape on, and white dress and shoes, and all those kind of things, you know. But a powerful evangelist, powerful evangelist. And after about the second or third night, he kept going. He went to the altar and prayed through and received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Prayed through and spoke in tongues. And then went on the job, went on the job, and could not give up cigarettes. He wanted that cigarette so bad, finally he smoked the cigarette. Then he went to church that night, and he said, I have a confession to make. I could not, I have not given up cigarettes yet, and I know that's wrong. And I don't know, in other words, I'm talking about deliverance, folks. I'm talking about deliverance here. I'm talking about God bringing you out. And he said, I, I just can't give up the cigarettes. And she says, Brother Myers, you come up here. <laughs> I wasn't there that night, but I heard about it for a long time afterwards from a lot of people. She came up there and she said, you've got a nicotine demon in you. And I'm going to cast out that demon right now. And you won't ever have a problem with cigarettes again. And he told me later about it. He said she slapped her, her left hand on his head and grabbed him in the throat like like that and said in Jesus name I mean she bared down on him and he's shaking and everything and she cast out that demon and he told me he said son he said I felt a big belch coming up inside of me and I burped and it would taste like old tobacco that's what he was saying he said I'm telling you about being delivered here being delivered from smoking now that was his smoking and he said, that thing belched out of there. And she says, you're delivered now and everything. He said, I praise and worship God. And from that moment on, he said, I never wanted another cigarette. And to this day, I can't stand them. This was, uh, and for the next 30 years of his life, he never smoked another cigarette. Now, why are you saying that, Brother Myers? I'm just saying here that the Lord said, I'll bring you out and nothing's impossible. God can do it. Drug addicts sometimes think, oh, God can't deliver me. Yes, he can. And all these little old things that we could get ourselves into out there in the world and all messed up, everything, God can bring you out of that. Because he's committed, praise the Lord, and he gave his name, I am. It means I am and you name it. I can do whatever is necessary to bring you out. Praise the Lord. And that's what the Lord was doing for so many people, has done for so many people, and that's how God brings us and gives us deliverance. So he says here, uh, I will bring you out. And so I read you here these scriptures. Jesus came to deliver us. He would deliver us from the world and out of our sins. Praise God. Amen. 
The Bible goes on to say, Love not the world, neither the things are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and the pride of life, these are of the world and not of the Father. I'm quoting First John 2, 15 and 16. I'm just trying to tell you here that God does not want us to have that love of the world. So, folks, let me say this to the church here, all of us. Let's leave that old world behind. There's a bunch of mess out there. There's a bunch of stuff out there. If God's brought you out of the world, praise, on God, praise the Lord, leave it. Say, God, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to live for you. And I'm going to walk in holiness. It doesn't mean you, you can't have, you know, you can't get with family and friends and do things. But I'm talking about all this, you know, the, the nightclubs, the bars, the drinking, the honky-tonks, the... I mean, it goes on and on, just all kinds of, the spirit of the world. You know what I'm talking about. They criticize us for our worship in church, but they'll go to these ball games and jump up and scream, yell their head off, be so hoarse they can't really talk the next day. I'm serious. We come to church and we praise and worship God and glory. They say, you're too loud. You're too loud. You've got to be quiet. No, no. Let's just worship God. Let's praise him. Amen. We owe him our worship and praise with all of our heart. Hallelujah. And everybody said, praise the Lord. Praise All right, let me move on here with our. He said, I'll rid you of your burdens. I'll rid you of your burdens. Go to Matthew uh, eleven twenty-eight. 28. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Praise the Lord. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 29th verse, my yoke is, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Now with that, I have that scripture also in your notes there, if you'll notice on that same line. Uh, I read your burden, you also, Isaiah 28.11, 28.11. This is one that many of you are familiar with. 28.11, for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people, speaking to Israel, to whom he said, this is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. And whenever the baptism of the Holy Ghost was first, first poured out on the day of Pentecost, they spoke in other tongues. It was a witness to those Jews that God was giving them the rest that he spoke of over here in Isaiah. And he said, this is the rest, stammering lips and another tongue. Talking about speaking in tongues here. This prophesied in the Old Testament in Isaiah, that God would speak to them. And, of course, and that and they would find the rest. And so there is a rest that we can have in the Lord. And he would relieve the burdens of a sin and all that mess in our lives and our hearts and all that stuff that might be in our souls. And I, mean, I won't even begin to name all the stuff that can be in our lives. But folks, he'll also give you a rest in your heart and in your soul. I, uh, my old pastor many years ago had a man to come in. He was up north. They had a, the church, the church was, uh, had a basement to it. And uh, they had, were retiling it. And this man came in and he worked and retiled. He worked hard retiling that basement in that church. That pastor, my old pastor, they went there he sat there and watched him for hours for a long time. And finally, he came back when he was winding up. And you know what he said to that man? He said, as hard as you work, you do this all the time. He said, I do this for a living. This is what I do. I, I lay tile. He said, as hard as you work, have worked on this floor. He said, you need to have a hope beyond this life. That's what he told him. He said, just to work hard all your life and then to die. He said, that seems sad. He said, but you can have eternal life. You can have hope beyond this life. No matter how hard you work in this life, you can have hope beyond it. And he started witnessing to this guy. And he said, if you'll come to church Sunday night, he said, you'll get a little bit of a feel. And he began to talk to him. That man came back to church. And he got under conviction. He went to the altar. He went up praying through and receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost and becoming a member of that church. 
a saint in that church. Praise the Lord, with the hope of heaven. Now, I'm going to say this to all of us here today. I, I have done my share of hard work laboring. I know what it is. My family were working people. I know what work is, folks. And I'm going to say this to any working man here today. Amen. You want to have something more than just ending up in this life, an old man having worked hard all your life and maybe a social security. I went to see a man in Miami one time, that longtime friend, and I heard he had cancer. And I went to see him, went to visit him. He was a, he was a, he was a, a stucco plaster, plastering guy. I visited him. And he said to me, he called me by my first name. He said, Ellis, he said, I almost made it. I said, what do you mean? He said, in a few months, I'll be 62 years old, and I, will, could, I could draw Social Security. I almost made it. And I said, that's not it. That's not it. I said, that's what you want to make right there. That's it. He died without knowing the Lord. He once knew God, and he died without knowing the Lord. But he was saying, if I almost made it to my Social Security, folks, that's not it. You work hard all of our lives. And we need to have the hope of heaven. Praise the Lord. I'm telling you about burdens. Praise the Lord. Burdens. And the rest that God can give us. Now, let me go a little bit further here about this rest thing. I want you to go with me over here to, uh, uh, let's see, I think it's in Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews 4, is it? Yeah, yeah Okay. Yes, Hebrews 4. Look at 4.1 with me for a moment. Hebrews 4.1. Let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest. When you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, there's a rest that comes upon you. There's a rest to your soul. You will never find it out in the world. But the Holy Ghost will give you a rest. It's like a, like that. I don't care. I've received the Holy Ghost at 16 years old, and I can remember feeling that rest in the Spirit of God and in the Holy Ghost. But along the way, sometimes we'll pick up those old worries and troubles and problems, and they come back, and, and sometimes we're not praying enough or we're not staying in touch with the Lord, and, and we're, not, we're living more in the flesh than we are in the Spirit. And those burdens can come back or heaviness can come back upon us. Now look what it says here in Hebrews 4.1. Let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, that is the Jews now, but the word preached did not profit them not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest. Look at that. I'm jumping down to verse 9 here. I'm trying to save time. This is spelled out in this entire first part down through verse 11 here in this fourth chapter. Verse 9. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Now I'm, I'm going to talk. I'm talking. Let me, I, sometimes we say I'm talking to somebody here. But maybe I'm not, maybe I am, but maybe there's a few more than one I'm talking to here. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Look at verse 11. Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man should fail. I'm short example of unbelief. Now, let me just say this to all of us here today, folks. Sometimes you can become so vexed, full of trials and tests and afflictions and problems and all kinds of things that could come your way and you can become just vexed inside but the Lord wants you to have a rest in your heart and that's when sometimes you need to excuse me <coughs> that's when you need to push everything aside and you need to get down before God and say, God, I want you to touch me. I want you to give me that rest. I'm serious. God will give you that rest. He'll give you a peace 
And God can do that and he will do that because that's what the Holy Ghost does for us. And don't tell me you've never been there whenever you've been just up to your eyebrows with all kinds of problems. I could take you to the 24th chapter of Matthew and show you where Jesus talked about how that the word of God seed fell on certain kinds of grounds. Fell by the wayside, then it fell on thorny, it fell on stony ground, didn't have much dirt, and it died pretty soon, like backsliders that start out for God, but they don't last very long. And then he talked about the thorny ground, thorny ground. The thorny grounds are those that stay in the church, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the trials and tests burden them down so they become unfruitful for God. They just can't really fully live for God like they want to, and they become burdened down with it. The Lord doesn't want us to be burdened down, and the only way you do that is go to him in prayer, and I have done that. I've done that. There's been times I've pushed everything aside and said, God, I just need to be in touch with you. I need to have devotion. I need to have my devotion. Maybe we let devotion slip. Maybe we don't take the time with it as we should. But God wants us to say, no, no, no. I need to take time with God. And if we would do that, God will give us his rest and he'll give us that peace on the inside. You see, the early church, when Jesus rose from the dead on the first day, they began to make the first day the day of worship. And the Sabbath day, as it was in the Old Testament, was a day of rest. But God has given us a perpetual rest in the Holy Ghost. Sunday is not our day of rest. It's our day of worship. We come together to worship him. And in worship, we do find rest. We find rest. And, of course, with the Christian lifestyle throughout, you know, Western Europe and so forth, or Europe, I guess you might say, uh, Sunday has become somewhat like a, a time. It used to be. It's not anymore. But I'm just saying here that it's more than just us uh, just resting. It is us worshiping God and finding rest in our soul. When you come to church, I don't care when it is, Sunday morning, Sunday night, in every service, and Wednesday night, whenever you come to church, folks, make up your mind you are going to worship God. Just say, God, I'm going to worship you. You, know? you may not feel like it. You may not feel like that's, it's the time you say, I've been just swamped with all kinds of problems. I'm just, I just drugged myself here tonight. I'm just barely here, everything. No, no, no. You say, I'm going to worship God, and I'm going to praise him. And you tell the Lord how much you love him. You tell the Lord you praise him, and you thank him. If you can't find enough things to thank him about, ask me. I'll tell you some things to thank him for. Thank him for your family. Thank him for your home. Thank you for your your children, thank you for your spouse. Thank him for your job. Thank you for your car. Thank you for your shoes on your feet. Those people don't have shoes on their feet. That's right. I'm just serious, folks. Thank you for the clothes on your back. Just go. There's so many things we can thank the Lord for. And if you can't think of anything, thank him for the sunshine, the daytime, and the beautiful moon that we have right now, the, the full moon at night. Praise the Lord. Well, God love you. Praise the Lord. But I'm just pointing out to you here. Let me move on very quickly here. I've got about 10 minutes. I'm going to wind this up here now. Uh, he says, I will redeem you. 1 Corinthians six twelve and 1 Peter says that God will redeem us. That means he'll buy us back. I won't go into detail on this because I don't have the time to do it. But in that Old Testament, if a, if a man became poor and had to sell, his, sell himself to, an, to another person, he sold himself to another person. He could be redeemed by a near kinsman. And that redeem, redeem means to buy back. Redeem means to buy back. Now, you and I were sold unto sin. We are sold unto sin. And Jesus came to redeem us, buy us back. And how did he buy us back? He bought us back with his blood. By the shedding of his blood, he brought us back. We are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. So he said, I will redeem you. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians 6.20 here for just a moment. I'm going to move very quickly with this and go ahead right on. 1 Corinthians 6.20. Praise God. He says, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirits, which are God's. Ye are bought with a price. Now, moving on a little bit further into that, uh, look at 
First Peter, and I'm looking at chapter 1 and verse 18. First Peter 1, 18, I think that's in your notes as well. 18 and 19. Anybody with me? Yes. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, that's, you, didn't, you weren't bought with that, from your vain, from your vain conversations. Uh, conversation actually in the scriptures here in most cases means lifestyle, not the, the talking about things. From your vain lifestyles received by tradition from your fathers, verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ. In other words, we were redeemed or bought with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So I'm just pointing out to you here that we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. God has purchased us, praise the Lord. So the Lord was telling the children of Israel, I brought you out of Egypt, and I'm able to take you in, praise the Lord, and I will redeem you. I'll buy you out. I'll buy you, praise the Lord. He was telling Israel that that's what God has done for us because he's done it with his blood, praise the Lord. And then he said over here, I will take you to be my people. And I'm going to read one more of the scripture. And you're there in 1 Peter 1. If you just turn the page to 1 Peter 2. And it says here, 2.9. But ye are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. That's who we are now. A holy nation. A, royal, a, a peculiar people. That you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, this is what the Bible is telling us how we should be today. He says, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, and that we should praise him, praise God, who has brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10, which in times past were not a people. That's us. We were not a people. We had no place. We were just people living through our lives, you know, we were Gentiles not saved. There was a time when my, my grandparents, great-grandparents back there, they never heard the gospel. Somebody brought the gospel to them. You understand what I'm saying? And God has been good to us, all of us. Praise the Lord. We've heard the word and God has brought it our way. Which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God. Thank you, Jesus which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So here's another scripture here in Second Peter here as well, telling us, amen, that we have been bought by the Lord and we belong to him and that we are the people of God. And of course, Isaiah 9, 2 also speaks about it. I won't take the time to be that, but I just want you to know here that God wants us to always be faithful unto him and we are the people of his name. Look in 1 John 3, 2. 1 John 3, 2. I'm Coming down to the close to the end of our lesson here. First John 3 and 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as it is, as he is. And he's telling us here that we will be like him. Praise the Lord. We have his name, we have his blood, we have his spirit, and we'll also be like Christ will be like him. Praise the Lord. Amen. And I'll take it a little bit further here and talk to you about how that we're going to look like him too. But uh, in other words, what I'm trying to say here is that Jesus rose from the dead and he is looking to us. We are his people, folks. He loves us. He cares about us. He puts his arms around, around us. He protects us. He provides for us. He will keep you out of trouble. And sometimes we we fumble the ball. Sometimes it's not our fault at all. Sometimes it's just things that arise. Sometimes it's all kinds of things. But never forget that the Lord loves us. We are his people. We belong to him. He's looking out for us and he's taking care of and he's going to take us home one day to be with him in glory. Uh, I want you to look, if you would, this is not in your notes, but I want you to look at 1 John 3, 2. I just read that to you. 1 John 3, 2. Okay. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 49. 1 Corinthians 15, 49. You don't have that in your notes either. And it's a verse that many of you are very familiar with, 15, 49. Thank you. These folks really are sharp. 
And as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Praise God. So if we have borne the image of Adam, we shall also bear the image of Jesus Christ, who ascended into heaven, and he has a glorified body like as unto his, and we shall have a glorified body like as unto his glorified body. Praise the Lord. I'm going to wrap it up here with Nehemiah. And if you look at 9, and this is a sort of a wrap-up of those verses that we we read over there, over in Deuteronomy and Exodus to start with. Uh, this is in Nehemiah. And this is what Nehemiah was saying about the children of Israel and how God took care of them. Verse 15. And he gave them bread. This is the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, going through the wilderness. And he gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought us forth water for them out of the rock for their thirst and promised them that they should go in to possess the land which thou hast sworn to give them. Look at verse 21. Yea, 40 years didst thou sustain them in the wilderness so that they lacked nothing. Their clothes waxed not old and their feet swelled not, and God brought them out, and he brought them in, brought them in. And one day, folks, God's going to bring us in, and we'll hear the trumpet. One of these days, the trumpet's going to sound. Amen. And that's the very last part here. I'll bring you in. Uh, God kept Israel in the wilderness, Nehemiah. Jesus will keep us, and then he will take us home. Praise the Lord. And one day, that trumpet's going to sound. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, God, the Jews were God's people for 2,000 years, from Abraham until 70 A.D. The Jews were God's people for 2,000 years. Now God has been dealing with the Gentiles for 2,000 years. So that time now he's been dealing with, folks, it's time for the Lord to come. It won't be long. I believe Jesus will be coming back for his church. I believe there's going to be a revival, mighty move of God at the last day to save and get people to the, into the faith. And there's also, praise the Lord, he's going to come back soon for his church, and we've already had promises on that. Aren't you glad you know the Lord? Don't ever fail the Lord. Don't ever fail the Lord. And if you ever sort of find yourself just getting sort of swamped with everything, and just, ever, just remember, he'll give you peace and joy and tranquility in your heart and your soul, and he'll help you in all your crises. Let's all stand together. Give God the praise. You have been a great class here today. God love you. Jesus, thank you for your people, Lord. Thank you for your people. Thank you for these that love your word, that have spent their time here in the house of God. Thank you, Jesus, for all of our classes that have been going forth here at this time. We thank you for the privilege to know you, to serve you, to walk with you. Jesus, we thank you for the word of God that's a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our pathway. Thank you for your spirit, O oh Lord, that guides and leads and directs us in all things. We praise you and love you and worship you for all things. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Say it real loud. Praise, praise the, Lord. the Lord. Say it one more time. Praise, praise the Lord. God bless you. Amen. You're dismissed in Jesus.